You're listening to the Should Have Backed It podcast. This is episode five, looking back over the Flemington Carnival. Welcome back, Chris. I saw you sipping espresso <laughs> martinis at the end of the day, so you must have had a good one. Yes, thank you, Phil. And yeah, it was a good end to the day. It was a bit of a tough betting day at Flemington yesterday, and luckily we found one up in Sydney that got us into the black for the day. Uh, ruby, 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 ruby. That was a great win. Uh, I have to give you some credit for that, or all the credit, actually. I, I wasn't going to back that, but... I walked in, I met you at about 11 o'clock yesterday morning, being the Saturday, and the first thing you said to me was, Real Min Ruby, that's yeah, what it's all about. Yeah, Real Min Ruby up in Sydney, that was a, a good win, third up, the right setup to win, you know, two runs at 1,200, two seconds, third up into 1,400, looked a good bet, and you still got a good price, at least $4, or around $4 that you would have got. And the fact that I, we, I said that we were going to review the Flemington Carnival and we've diverted straight to Sydney suggests that perhaps we didn't have a great day at Flemington yesterday. No, it was um, pretty tough and there's a few shorties as well. And I, looking into that meeting or going into that meeting, I, I wasn't that excited because there were those short favourites that I really wanted to get involved with. You know, Nick Point in race three. It was three races in a row. You had Nick Point race three then True Self race four, and then Santa race five. And I'm not one to really back the, the odds on or anything, you know, low twos. So I want to try and find a, a little bit of value in in my betting. And I think maybe with the point of consumption tax, that's also had a bit of an impact. And, you know, turnover has been a big topic the last couple of weeks. But if you're prepared to take on a favourite, you can find a, a bit of value. And, you know, two out of those three races, you know, the, the favourites got rolled. Yeah, and I think your point's really good, Big V. I mean, we're getting very short price favourites now. I'm not sure if it's around that point of consumption tax or just the fact that there's a lot more spread in the people that are punting and, and, and following you know, expert tipsters like yourselves and others. And sometimes there can be a bit of a groundswell of support for a horse, perhaps making them become unders. Yeah, it's. I think a lot of it is um, maybe reputation or there, there is those horses that everyone has it has there's their horse to follow and and then next time you're going to get you know big unders and just having on oaks day as well we, there was a few favorites that i was really keen on and they were my better bets of the day and they were the ones that got rolled you look at impy california zimbul and the other one that uh, harbor views mm. i thought they were the three best bets of the day and they're the three horses that got rolled so yeah, if you if you want to find something at a price and you're confident that you know it can win like in a nature strip in the sprint and you're prepared to take that gamble there is still enough value out there i suppose where the turnover is down is a lot of big punters professionals like to bet two or three horses in a race and when you're not getting that value with the favorite they back out of the race and i find that for me um i mean i don't back two three horses in the race but if i like a favorite and it's too short I end up staying out of the race rather than look at something else to beat it. Yeah, it's a, it's a big challenge. I, I do take your point, but if you've got 15 horses in a race, a $2 favourite, sometimes it can be hard to find the winner, but there is yeah. definitely value there and certainly something I look for. Yeah. I think you've just mentioned six races all up, Oaks Day and, and Stakes yeah. Day, where a horse started at $2 and only one of them actually saluted. Yeah, it, that, Oaks Day was, it looked like a pretty good betting day. I thought it was a better betting day than Stakes Day in the end because it was, the back end of the program for stakes was um, pretty difficult, and that's why I wasn't really that keen on 
on the meet because you had those shorties at the start and you had some difficult races at the end like the Matriarch, the Chatham, the last race of the day. Even the McKinnon was pretty tough. I mean, I, I did like Melody Bell, but I couldn't have it at you know $3. It did get out a little bit that enticed me to have a go and I think the barrier might have beaten her there and you know if she had a drawn you know middle gate and got a little bit closer in the run you know I think she would have won that race because that was a huge finish by her yeah it certainly was and I think we'll probably look to touch on that a little bit later as well as we review uh stakes day so in terms of the horses that you think you should have backed on the weekend or yesterday um, what was the one that really stood out for you I'll go to the last race in the day Esperance and I know it Paid about $14 in the end, but it was one that I was on during the winter, really keen on it. You know, I've won on it. I was on it for its last two defeats and, you know, really disappointing during those last couple of runs. But back to 1,100 metres, you know, has a really good finish on him. And I was surprised that he, he drifted out to about that $14 price. He was, um, I picked him, I had him as my second pick behind Esperance, but... You know, big performance. I should have stuck with him. I think you might have had a Freudian slip there when you said Esperance because you are uh, actually Hullison. I think Hal Wilson. Yeah, Sorry. Was the horse you were talking Hal about. Wilson. But all, all the things, obviously, Ballin and yep. Esperance made a really nice run in that race and I was certainly on it and thought at about the 150 it was home. But yeah, Hullison yep. uh, won that race yep. really convincingly. Sorry. Yeah, Halverson, Halverson, my horse that I should have backed. <laughs> That's the one I was on during the winter. Had a two, you know, a little bit disappointing runs up the Flemington Strait, but both runs are at 1,200 metres. Back to 1,100 here. I think that's probably its best distance where he can finish off and have that you know, burst of acceleration at the end. And I, I did have it for second behind Esperance but, and surprised that he got out to that price. So maybe if I should have stuck with him and... You know, may have got the the chockies. Yeah, perhaps because it was late in the day, I hadn't noticed that it got out to fifteen dollars. Actually, that's the first time I've seen that, so uh, a little bit disappointed in hindsight myself yeah. there to have missed it. But my should have backed it for the weekend. I've, I've probably got two or three I could go through. I'll, I'll briefly touch on two. The first being Ocean X, and not necessarily because um, you know it, it definitely should have started favourite or anything, but it did pop up at nineteen dollars mm-hmm. after being $2 at Mooney Valley only seven or eight days ago, oh, a couple of weeks ago now for the, uh, the Matacado night. But yeah, I was on it that night at $2, comes back at $19 and a better race and wins. So yeah, I feel like I should have just stuck with it and, and seeing what happened. Yeah, it was just an um, unbelievable betting race, um, that Matriarch, uh, race six. I was on Girl Tuesday. She actually got a decent price for Girl Tuesday, about four sixty, mm. And I couldn't believe that it, came in crunched into 260. This was a pretty difficult race, and you know, I, I wouldn't have backed it at 260, but you know, in the end, I just thought it was um, it was an ordinary ride by Nash. Let's be you know pretty blunt about it, but I don't think she was going that well to challenge, even if she was taken to the outside. Yeah, it was a hard one for Nash because he could have pushed to go forward from that outside barrier, but would have yeah. used up a lot of energy to I do think, so. I think she did miss the start slightly yeah but i don't know i can't understand how he or why he decided to take it to the rail now that was the inferior ground he's he's drawn barrier 13 she's jumped out of 12 and he finds himself on the rail 
Yeah, it was an unusual ride. Um, probably couldn't have gone out wide, but you're right. As soon as she went inside, yeah. wasn't going to win that yeah. race. And really, actually, the horses were going away from her in the last sort of 50. Yeah, but what, you, what you're doing is going to the inside. Is that if you've got horses behind you, you know, when they make their runs around you, you've got to wait. And you either got to tack onto the back of them and get pushed out wider, mm. or you're just forced to just stay on the inside. I don't know. When you're drawn wide, just stay one off the rail. Even if you're posted three wide i don't have a problem with horses being posted three wide back in the field if they're not doing any work at least you're out of trouble and then you can make your move when you want to and you can peel out you know it wasn't one of nash's finest rides and i know we're getting bogged down in in this but looking back on oaks day he was on no i think it was cup day sorry he was on shared ambition you know the Mm -hmm. the the hot pot that did win i think it was a dollar eighty Shot. Something like that, yeah. And he was on the rail on him, and he just got lucky. All the horses just peeled off the fence because it was the inferior going, and he just had that that path along the rail. The horse was just much better than the opposition. He, that could have been very messy if all the horses had to just stayed on the fence. It's amazing the fine line between a bad ride and looking like a genius, isn't it? Well, Girl Tuesday actually was my should have sacked it for the week, and mainly for me around the price at, I think you said, $2.60, which at the end proved to be way too short for that for that runner. Probably hadn't done enough in its previous starts to justify being anywhere near that, that spec. And as you said, from that outside barrier, yeah. it was always going to struggle yeah. uh, to win that race uh, convincingly, or certainly at the $2.00. Yeah, sort of well, she, she was worth a bet at the four sixty five dollars. Yeah, I agree with that. Yeah. And yeah, I was just stunned that she was just back so heavily. So in terms of my should have sacked it, it was a. It could have been plenty. I could have sacked yesterday, <laughs> but I'm gonna I'm gonna go with Nick Point in race three. I probably shouldn't have had it as my top selection. Now barrier ten in the fourteen hundred meter race. So when you're drawing wide at fourteen hundred, because it's such a a short run. To the bend, you know, when you're drawn wide, you're sort of resigned to having to get back in the field, and and those 1400 meter races also, most times you're not getting a lot of tempo, so it is tough to get back in the field, and at that price, you know, the two dollar ten mark or twenty mark that he was, I thought it was a it was a risky bet in the end, and should have been looking elsewhere. Yeah, it was never in the race. I didn't. There was no point in the race where you thought oh here comes Nick Point I think finished about two and a half lengths from the winner in the end but yeah pretty disappointing effort and I know that a few of the boys that we were with on the day were were riding at home but yeah I I stayed straight out of that race I didn't like any of the value that was around and even the winner at four dollars I didn't particularly excite me no I thought the um I underrated the winner and I'm going to contradict myself here because the the winner's drawn barrier nine but Ollie's gone gone forward on him i think he was just off the off the speed and you know that was a great ride by ollie on banco but i've underrated that horse in that race yeah that's fair and um i guess it's going back to sort of where we even began this discussion it was was a really tough day on the punt i think myself i only had two winners over the day um still managed to pull out a profit and i think that's just through strategic betting in terms of how much Mm. and where i'd place my money but if you were the kind of punter that had you know five each way across the races, you weren't going to come out with much yesterday. No, it was a tough day, and the wind might have had an impact as well. The big fields in the later later in the program, it was a day that I wanted to try and be a little bit conservative, not get too involved because 
You know, if you get beaten on one of the shorties, as you as we mentioned earlier, you can make for a really tough day to to make up from. And um, no, I know one of our our mates at the track even got beat on a dollar thirty shot up in Brisbane. <laughs> yeah, well, <laughs> less we talk about that, the better, I think. Probably the the most exciting race for me on the day was the McKinnon, closely followed by the sprint, which we'll touch on as well. But you mentioned Melody Bell came in and ran second. Um, magic wand, unusual preparation, but got you know got the job done in a in a in a pretty well run race actually. Yeah, it was one of those days where the horses that I had as my second selection ended up winning. There's a few of those, and you know we mentioned Hal Warson, Magic Wand was another. You know Mandela, Rachel, Mandela Rachel effect well. early in the day. Yeah, yeah. There's a, there's a few of them, and um, I just thought with Magic Wand, I. I've, I was with you. I was unsure about the four-day backup, thirty-two hundred into two thousand. Um, those combined made it tough for me to have him on top. But had he come straight from the Cox Plate, it might have been a, a different setup there. Um, particularly with Melody Bell drawing sixteen, you no, know, she was going to get back in the field. I mean, that was a big effort by her to run second in the end. A quality horse, obviously, yeah. and. And Magic Wand has been there or thereabouts in a number yeah. of races um, yeah. during its Australian preparation. Yeah. So good on it for, yeah. for getting the job done. But I, I guess, yeah, I'll, I'll, I had the question mark coming back from 3,200 yeah. just four or five days ago yeah. and then running over 2,000 yeah. in, in a, yeah. a pretty good field, I yeah. thought, as well, with Hartnell's Swan Song, yeah. etc. And um, position in running is the, the key there because you had Magic Wand and Hartnell up on the speed and they've run one and three and Melody Bell split them. But it's just, is there a bit of a concern with our weight for age horses? Because we've got an international winning, we've got a New Zealand horse second, and we've got a horse that's retired now, off to retirement, runs third. Yeah, no, I think that's right. And I think, yeah, certainly once you get over 2,000 in any of the, the categories, you're now looking at internationals in this carnival as your as your top selections. Mm. I mean, I know we had Varon declare win the Melbourne Cup but that was obviously a bit of an aberration if you look over yeah. the previous history of the event and other staying events I mean we even True South in the Queen Elizabeth um, that's just basically a, a race for, for internationals yeah. now as well yeah but maybe as punters we probably don't need to be concerned about that as long as we've got something to back on something to, to bet on <laughs> it's all about just fighting the winner it doesn't matter if they're international horse or they're a local horse yeah maybe we just let's just worry about the race itself and just finding the winner. Well, if you want to find Australian horses, you just look for the sprints and Nature Strip. How was that run? That was a, one of the best runs for me of the carnival. Yeah, to be it was honest. A, a great ride. I mean, I don't think he controlled the tempo. I don't think he was going you know overly fast. He was just going at his own rhythm and just controlled the speed. And mm. yeah, they're never going to catch him. Big question mark at twelve hundred Nature Strip, but it's managed to do it. Probably off the back of a very slow early part of yeah. the race where it sort of turned the race into a 1,000 or 1,100-metre yeah. race, really. Yeah. But he ran well in the, the Everest. But again, that was um, a high-pressure Everest. And you know some of those better closers did beat him. But he did run well for fourth. And here he's found a, a race where he's controlled the, controlled the speed. And um, Santa was a little bit flat in that race. Yeah, yeah. We've read you know some post-race reports that... He was tired, you know, maybe the, the Hong Kong trip has taken it out of him. You know, he's, he's started to feel that Hong Kong trip now. Yeah, I guess there's always going to be excuse for quality horses like that. But what really struck me about Nature Strip, and this might be a really bad analogy, but 
it just almost looked black caviar like the way it won that race. It sat up, controlled mm. the speed, and whilst all the other horses were off the bit, busting a gut, it was just cruising. Yeah. And then as soon as he was asked to go, he just went bang. Yeah, I wouldn't go one of the best quite, rides I you'll go, see. I wouldn't go quite that far. I mean, I just mean that one isolated yeah. race, but it did. Being on track, that's the feel it had. It but, just yeah. was in complete control yeah. of the but situation. But the strength of Nature Strip is that he can really accelerate mid-race, and that's why he's getting the horses off the bit. Because he's going, you know, he's going at a good tempo early, but then he increases that speed mid-race, and you'll see that his last two hundreds are always you know, pretty soft in the end. But he's doing all that work early, which is the, which is why he's getting those horses off the bit, and that's why. It's failed trying to get him to settle and look for cover and have him, you know, sit behind leaders. It just doesn't work. And I think Chris Wall, after that first up run, has realised, no, we've just got to ride him, you know, how this horse wants to be ridden. So he's now won a Group 1 over 1,200. Could we see Nature Strip over further? No, I don't think over further. No, I think 1,200. He'll probably go to Royal Ascot, but... I don't know if he's going to run in the 1,200-metre race at Royal Ascot, maybe the 1,000, the because, you know, at Ascot, you've got the, you know, it's a big, steep incline. Mm. So, but it'll be exciting to see to see him go to the UK. Well, what we should do is, we, when we see Nature Strip down the straight at Flemington, we should just be on mm. it from now on. Yeah. Um, While we're talking about the, the sprint race, what did you think of the field itself? Only nine runners. Last year, it was one of the best races of the spring. This race has been affected by the races in Sydney, yeah. more notably the Red Zell Stakes. What do you think of the field? Well, we touched on this a little bit earlier. Uh, I think at the top it was still a high quality field. If you look at Nature Strip and Stand Around Lane, mm. they were first and oh, sorry, second and fourth in the uh, in the Everest. So I mean that's the top echelon of sprinting in Australia now. But it did fall away a little bit. Um, we had some good runs in behind. Loving Gabby and in her time performed really well. But yeah, it definitely didn't have the breadth of field that it usually would. And probably just tailed away a little bit of work in terms of quality. But still a good race and it was still an impressive win. And those Sydney races, I mean, some of them have worked well. I think others haven't. I think the Red Zell Stakes just isn't the right race. That is a race that is simply there to stop horses coming to Melbourne. But then, as we saw yesterday, we had the the hot Danish stakes, which I think is I think might have been bumped up in prize money as well. Those type of races, um, yeah, we actually we got a good result on Reelham in Ruby, and I don't have a problem with Sydney putting in new races and extending their carnival because they've got some good races still coming up, and so deep in November, yeah, you know, we might have some you know good punning opportunities, but. A few races I don't think have worked. You're very passionate about this big V. <laughs> There's no denying it. And it'll be interesting to see how it plays out over coming years. But if the prize money that they are offering in Sydney continues, I think yeah. you're going to see more and more horses yes, choose to, to race in Sydney over this period. But in saying that, we can only look for the best punting opportunities. And the Red Zell Stakes, you know, we, we were on trekking. We just missed out. It's just had an impact on the daily sprint this year. So mm. we, we got involved betting-wise last week, but this year I didn't get involved in the sprint classic because you had a, a short favourite. There was no wedges in the, in the market for me, so I stayed out. Yeah, it was really at the top of the market a race in two, and it turned out one of those did get the job done. It'll be interesting in a couple of weeks. I think there's a 1,600-metre race on the same day as the railway stakes. So mm. it'll be inter- interesting to see... 
what impact that might have or might have no impact or what type of field they get. So we'll just have to wait and see. Well, one race that um, is always tough to overshadow is the Melbourne Cup. And I think it's probably worth having a quick discussion to reflect on that race. I mean, we sat here and we talked through some of the horses that you thought would be a big chance in the race and what form lines we should be looking at as well. And it was interesting that we ended up getting the first five all coming from completely different form lines. So does it not make it any easier for next year or any punters, I don't no, think? No, it just makes it harder. And that's a good point that you've... Um, or a good observation that you made. And, yeah, it's really... It was a strange race because it was a slow tempo. And and I just think the Melbourne Cup now is... It, it is a lottery. If, you, if you're one that has got a trifecta and or, you know, won a trifecta or won a first four, I think a lot of the time it's just luck. It's just how the races are run. Yeah, and you know, I think I've heard some commentary, and I agree with it, that if you run the race another 10 times, you probably have 10 yeah. different winners. Or different, yeah, different speeds. I mean, I think that's why Surprise Baby's run so well. I mean, I was surprised that he's finished fifth, but when you see how slow they ran, and he's been able to have that sprint in these last 400 metres, you know, yeah, it was just a, a funny a funny race and yeah you know, I, I we were discussing it yesterday when we were, when we were, we were watching the queen elizabeth how that was another slow tempo race for a for a staying race and do we need to put in some pacemakers in the race i mean i know why we don't have pacemakers but you want to see a true staying contest you don't want to see sit and sprints that disadvantage horses that are one pace or just grinding stays you want to see you know contest you don't want to see yeah sprints. but you also don't want to see any manufactured results i mean all the jockeys yeah. in that race had opportunities to put their horses in different positions yeah. make mid-race moves uh craig williams decided to take his horse yeah. from barrier 21 to be leading first time around the yeah. past the post so i'm not a fan of pacemakers necessarily i would be a fan yeah. of more pace in these yeah. races but that's what a decision for the jockeys and the trainers to make around how they position their horses yeah. and and approach yeah. races I mean, the Melbourne Cup was so slowly run. I think I managed to read War and Peace between yeah. the 16 and the 1400 metre mark. It was unbelievably slow, yeah. slowly run, which made, as you say, the, the, the runs of Murder Glass, Surprise Baby, Il Paradiso, massive really in the end to get to as close as they did off, off a walk, really. Yeah, yeah, I think um, in one point. I th- but, you know, if you look at some of those horses, they might have been advantaged by the slow tempo because they were able to finish off strongly they weren't off their feet and I think I'm not advocating for pacemakers but I do think that the way that race was run it did impact on a horse like Finch who's a big grinding horse who probably doesn't have that turn of foot at the end of races at this distance so I think that really affected him and might have affected a lot of other horses. Yeah and there's a couple interesting things to come out of that race too I see Il Paradiso is now being acquired by Australian Connections so we might see a little bit more of that horse in Australia. Yeah. And I also heard that Murder Glass actually hurt its tendon during the Melbourne Cup run. So that that's obviously yeah, a, a good big blow yeah. for that horse and yeah. a, a big performance if it did, yeah. in fact, hurt itself in the run. And I think um, Il Paradiso, if we see Il Paradiso next year in the Melbourne Cup, that might be a good horse to look at. I mean, I'm disappointed my mellow didn't make the field or was was scratched by the, the vets and the stewards because... Um, in a difficult race, I mean, when you look at how Prince of Aaron has run, and Marmelo finished ahead of it in, in last year's Melbourne Cup, um, in a difficult race, that might have been that horse that we, we knew a lot about, we knew could 
run the distance, you know, perform here. I would have had him on top in my selections and I was a bit disappointed when he got ruled out. Disappointed, but I think the right decision made by the stewards. Oh, probably the right decision, yeah. yeah. But I think if you're going to do that for the internationals, you use the um, the scanner, I think it should also apply to the local horses as well. Yeah, no, that's probably fair. What what Speaking of the controversy, I guess, at the end of the race, what did you, what did you make of the protest and what happened there at the end and even the uh, excessive whip use of uh, Michael Walker on Prince of Arran. Well, first on the protest, I'm glad that the stewards fight in the protest. Mm. I mean, I can be a little bit critical of the stewards. Sometimes I don't think they ask enough questions of the jockeys after races. But at least here, credit to them, they had the, the, the punters in mind when they lodged the protest because when you've got the two horses, it was father and son, you had Aidan O'Brien and Joseph O'Brien, the jockeys weren't going to protest. And even when they were questioned by the stewards, you know, I think you had the um, the jockey of Il Paradiso saying it did, made no difference at all. I wasn't going to finish yeah. ahead of no Master comment, of no Reality. Yeah. Yeah, so, a, yeah, you're right. But, it's, it's good from a punter's perspective yeah. to have that. Not so good for some of the punters that might have had Master of Reality in their, yeah. in their uh, trifecta. Yeah. And, I know, yeah. and I know that Frankie Dettori bashing has become a sport itself here in Australia and Look, I, I did make a joke to our punters club um, group chat that Frankie Dettori should have a lifetime ban from the Melbourne Cup. But <laughs> when you put all that aside, I did see someone on Twitter make a good point that if you had have backed Master of Reality or if you're the connections of Master of, of Reality, he's a $26 shot that nearly won the Melbourne Cup. Not only that, if you've got Frankie Dettori on your horse as an owner or a trainer, yeah. you know he's giving every mm-hmm. single thing he's got yeah. to win that race. Yeah. So, yes, he did, was reckless in how that last sort of 50 metres the horse came in, but you're completely right. It was a horse that wasn't really expected to be yeah. anywhere near the front of the race, so he's ridden it beautifully yeah. and just gave everything he, yeah. he could to, to win in the yeah. end. And talking about the connections, I mean, it's Lloyd Williams and Nick Williams, so <laughs> they're not short of a, a dollar there or short of a, a Melbourne Cup win. But, yeah, but in the, the point is, even though he's been relegated to fourth, he's a $26 shot. That's finished fourth in the Melbourne Cup, whereas I was on Southern France, which was also twenty six dollars, and never looked likely, never looked like getting close. But the other point you mentioned was the the whip ruling. Yeah, yeah. And I look, I there's some calls for horses to be disqualified. I don't agree with that. I do think that if you want to make a statement, that you just find the jockey 100% of his prize money. Yeah, and this is something we disagree on a little bit, I think, Big V. You can put that penalty to any jockey in the world and they'll still do it to win a Melbourne Cup. So the penalty, and you know what, the owners will probably fling them a couple. But the whip rule can't be different for a Melbourne Cup compared to a maiden race. It doesn't have to be. If you disqualify a jockey for overusing the whip, Trust me, within it'll stop it immediately. Jockeys aren't going to be wanting to do that. They're not going to get rides on on any horses if they're getting them disqualified for overusing the whip. But I don't want, I don't like to see owners get punished because I've I've been an owner. It's a lot of money to get involved in race horses, and sometimes the prize money you do win isn't enough to cover the bills, and then you're getting your horses disqualified. I think if the Would, jockey wants yeah. to overuse the whip, he should get punished. Punish his full, his full um, prize money. Because what's the point in winning a Melbourne Cup? Okay, you'll get the trophy on the mantelpiece. But what's the point of winning if 
your $50,000 prize money allocation is stripped from you? Well, the point is it's a Melbourne Cup, so everyone will keep doing it. The $50,000 almost becomes irrelevant when, when, when you're thinking about a Melbourne Cup win and what the, how lucrative that is and how it's a dream of most jockeys to do it. So I don't necessarily buy that, Big V. I think they'll continue to do it. Yeah, as, an owner, as an owner myself, I do get your point around punishing, but I've had there's been plenty of jockeys that have ridden a poor ride and cost owners races yeah. over time, so this will just be an extension of that. Yeah, probably, and um, I just think it disqualifying horses also opens up a can of worms. I think if you want to ride a horse dead, just overuse the whip, and automatically get disqualified. I just think it just opens up too many issues. I just think the easiest way is that maybe the stewards have to just protest and just say, "All right, you've overused the whip. We're going to relegate you. Maybe not disqualification. Maybe relegation." I know the argument is how can you judge, you know, how much impact overusing of the whip is, but something's got to be done with the rule. Well, you could go to option three and just get rid of the whip as well. Yeah, well, that I is mean, one option. Yeah. Yeah, and I think or or, you, or they have they have the whips just for safety and you can't use it. Mm. That's that's one option. But look, I just think I think disqualification is extreme. Let's just go. Let's just start off with. Let's just suspend or penalise their entire prize money and just whack a month a month ban on top of it as well. All right, Big V. Uh, you've had your say on that one. I think uh, you've made yourself pretty clear on, on your view there. Moving forward, there's a couple of horses that we wanted to follow. You've already me- mentioned Esperance as a horse that you really liked uh, yesterday and that you wanted to see moving forward. Yeah, well, it's a tough day for horses to follow because a lot of them will go to the paddock now. Esper- Esperance has just had the two runs. Maybe there might be another run in him. He's not a horse that you can you can trust, but he's had two seconds now. You know, one at 9.55, 1,100. You know, maybe if he's third up, 1,200 in the right race. But, um, yeah, it's a, it's a tough day for horses to follow. Yeah, well, the only one I could find, and it's probably pretty obvious, is True Self. It... Uh could have been forgiven for not being able to sprint away as quickly as it did from that field, particularly with how the race was run and how it got blocked for space in the straight. So definitely one I'll be following. I understand it's going. No, I understand it's going to Hong Kong actually next, the Hong Kong Vars. So maybe check it out there. But you know, it, it was just shy of getting into this year's Melbourne Cup. So you never know; it might be back yeah. next year. And some of these Melbourne Cup runners now do perform well at Hong Kong, or I think cross counted. Yeah, I think it backed up there well after last year's Cup. So, yeah, I think it's one to follow over there. I'm not sure what the field or the price you'll get, but based on its Australian performances, um, you really can't uh, knock knock the horse, to be honest. Well, I know you're into your Hong Kong racing, so I'll be expecting (laughs) some good tips from you over the next coming weeks and months. Oh, yeah, we'll have a look as uh, as the calendar opens up. In terms of bush runs this week, probably had our attention taken by Flemington, so check out today's Ararat Gold Cup, but don't really have anything to follow. But, Big V, I wanted to finish. We've just gone through the Flemington Carnival, and I just wanted to get a sense for you what your highlights, what your disappointments were. So I'm going to run through a series of quick questions. Only a couple, no notice given on this. Yes. So I, I wanna, I'm not very good at short I, notice uh, I want to give it off the top of your head, mate. Just a couple of questions. What, first thing that comes to mind. So first one is, uh, into Flemington Carnival, what was your run of the week? Oh, Flemington Carnival. Mm-hmm. 
Because you made it tougher for me now. I was going to say um, Parada up in Sydney. I know it was on Derby Day. Oh, I'll give you this. I'll give you that. I'll give you, I'll give you, I'll, you yep. um, Three wide, hot speed. We're on trekking. I thought we were going to win the money because Parada had a tough run. Mm. And he was just too good. Should have been running at the Flemington Carnival, by the way. <laughs> Ride of the week? Uh, I think the ride of the week has to go to Dwayne Dunn on Exceedance. Oh, yeah? The, on um, Derby Day. Yep. I mean, the horse got squeezed at the start. He went with Plan B and he got the money. So that was just good, quick thinking by him. The biggest thrill of the week? I'm going to go with the same horse, Esperance, because that was just a good win. You know, Exceedance, on, you mean? You got Esperance no, on the brain today. Ex- exceedance. <laughs> Exceedance, yes. I My think you biggest just, uh, thrill is exceedance, and I'm going to write that down. That might be a bit exceedance. of a, uh, a bit of a guide to where you were putting your money that day. Yeah. And finally, that's a big thrill. <laughs> you, can edit, you can edit that mistake later. <laughs> no, no, we'll be keeping that biggest disappointment of the carnival. I think it was Santa yesterday. Mm. I wanted to see a big run from him, and another group one, um, but he just was flat. And the final and probably the most important question, actually, um, and one our listeners will be keenly uh, interest, interested in, is uh, the, what do you think the best buffet restaurant in Melbourne is? Jeez, oh, uh, why are you asking me this question? Oh, I know. You've been known to get around and experience a few of the buffet restaurants in Melbourne. So no, I, just I haven't, done, to I haven't done any buffets no, in Sizzler Melbourne. No Sizzler or still around? No, I used to go to the uh, Temple Stowe many years ago. But um, <laughs> no, the... The best buffet was up in Queensland when they used to have the Morton Bay Bugs and <laughs> when they got rid of that and I tried to sell it to you and the rest of our punters club and I felt very um, let down that the, the Morton Bay Bugs were off the menu. Still a great buffet though, Big V, so can't can't knock that. All right, well, um, on that note, we'll uh, wrap up the show for the uh, the big edition covering the Fleming and Carnival. Uh, as always, you can contact us at the shouldabackedit at gmail.com email address or via Twitter at, at shouldabackedit. Uh, the Twitter follow, followers are uh, increasing after Big V's uh, some, some really good stuff from you over the last few days. As always, download and follow the, <laughs> or subscribe to the podcast and we're always here, happy to hear your feedback and so write us a review. Good luck on the punt in the coming weeks.